You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 719 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, it is Monday evening into Tuesday morning for your uh, post-President's Day commute. I know some people have the day off on Monday, so congratulations to you if you were able to have that extra day on your long weekend. But uh, here we are, back in the swing of things, post-All-Star weekend. The Hawks don't play again until Thursday night, but we'll have a couple of podcast episodes between now and then, including the one that you're listening to right now. And uh, as you probably know by clicking on it, the majority of this podcast will be an interview that I did with Jackson Frank of The Athletic and Dime and Gonzaga coverage, etc., etc. Jackson's one of the best at covering the NBA draft, so we'll spend you know, some time on that uh, later on on the podcast, and uh, I'm enjoying that conversation. I already recorded it, so that was a lot of fun. And uh, here we are to talk about a couple of other things before we get started with Jackson. Um, basically, All-Star Weekend for the Hawks came down to Trey Young being active. Uh, nobody else did anything for the Hawks in terms of uh, you know on-court stuff. Everybody else was on vacation. I was enjoying the Instagram feeds of a couple of the players and coaches, etc., um, who were on vacation, and that's how these things work in the middle of the season. But Trey was very busy, of course, Friday night in the Rising Stars, had some nice moments, played well. Uh, in a in what became a win for Team USA, and then Saturday night he did not play quite as well. The shooting in the three point contest was not ideal for Trey. To his credit, he leaned into it, kind of made fun of himself a little bit as the weekend was going along. But uh, he just never had it going in that setting. And uh, although I'm always a big fan of that contest, it's not a big deal that he did not perform overly well in that in that in that one setting. And then of course. The centerpiece of All-Star Weekend is Sunday night, and uh, when the game finally started, after 45 minutes or so of uh, pre-game festivities, um, Trey did play well when he played in the first half. He played, he, had, he played 10 minutes, he led the game in assists in the first half, and hit, hit a uh, pretty much a trademark kind of buzzer beater um, from the half-court line at the end of the half that caused quite a reaction. Uh, Pascal Siakam falling down was, uh, was became sort of a gift-worthy moment at the end of that, and uh, it's kind of ironic and I would say pretty amazing, honestly, that Trey... Um, when he loaded up to shoot that shot, I kind of thought it was going to go in, and that's a pretty big credit to him. He's obviously very good from long distance, but uh, it's kind of funny when you kind of believe that his shot is going to go in from half court, and it felt like it was going to drop, and it ended up obviously dropping. He also had his uh, trademark nutmeg uh, on James Harden, which is, of course, something that I thought was probably going to happen along the way, but he got it in there. Uh, weirdly, he did not start in the third quarter, which made some people uh, angry. That was sort of a precursor of what was to come later on. Um, I guess the one thing that kept that from being a big thing was that Pascal Siakam also didn't start. Normally you see the starter start the second half as well. There was a new format and all that stuff, but he did come back in, had an assist on his first play after a timeout when he entered the game and then had two great lobs to Rudy Gobert, plus a bucket on his own going to the rim. Trey threw three quarters, had 10 points and 10 assists, a double-double there for him um, in less than 16 minutes of play. Uh, did have four turnovers, a couple of a couple of them late in the third quarter, but generally he played well and was a lot of fun, as you might expect Trey Young to be in that setting. Then, of course, the controversy arrives in the fourth quarter where Trey did not play. Um, you know, he was not the only one, which is worth pointing out here. The two guys who did not play that were starters in the fourth quarter, by the way, there were no subs in the fourth quarter. Um, it was that frantic mode with the Elam ending. And uh, by the way, as, as someone who just enjoys the league and covers the league at whole, it was uh, pretty awesome television. Um, no commercials and uh, high intensity, and that's kind of what the league wanted. I think that if you're, if you're the league today, you're probably thrilled. Aside from the fact that it ended on a free throw, everything else that you'd be thrilled with if you are the NBA in this spot. But um, from the Hawks' perspective, obviously Trey not playing in the fourth quarter is a little bit disappointing. Um, it was Trey and Luka Doncic on the bench. The two youngest guys who were voted in as starters were the guys who did not play in crunch time. Um, and one, on one hand, it wasn't, you know, it's, it's never stunning to me when NBA coaches lean on veterans. Um, and the two guys that played the minutes in, in place of Doncic and Young were veterans. Uh, Chris Paul did not get any attention really on the other side because Chris Paul is a first ballot Hall of Famer legend. Um, but Kyle Lowry is not that player. Obviously, I'm, I've actually been kind of an appreciator of Kyle Lowry over the years. But in this spot, um, you know, it's, it's kind of unavoidable to point out that Nick Nurse, who's the coach of Team Giannis, coaches Kyle Lowry full time. Uh, and Lowry you know, kind of made himself known in terms of like trying to draw draw charges and just kind of be his normal self in that spot where people wanted to see Trey Young. And I think obviously from an entertainment standpoint, Trey Young is a lot more fun to watch than Kyle Lowry. And at the end of the day, Trey Young was voted in as an all-star. So fans wanted to see Trey Young play 
in this spot. I also think that it was worth pointing out that even if he had wanted to go with Lowry, you could have argued pretty easily for Trey Young ahead of Kemba Walker, who did not play all that well in the fourth quarter. In fact, Kemba was three of nine with two turnovers. I don't want, I don't, I don't want to make a huge deal out of this, but as soon as Trey left the court, the offense did not go particularly well for Team Giannis in this game. Um, at the end of the day, people were more mad than I would have been, but I understand that if you are only a Hawks fan, you don't really care about the league. If you're just a diehard Hawks fan, you would be upset by this, and I totally understand why. You want to see your guy play, and he was a starter, so not having a starter play in the fourth quarter, less than ideal, I will say. Um, I do wish that, honestly, both guys, but especially Trey, were on the court late in the game. It would have been good for the league, in my opinion, to have you know sort of the young talent, your faces of the league moving forward, be on the court and on that stage. I understand the matchup stuff and the coaches stuff, I, you know, whatever. It, it is what it is. But at the end of the day, I would have really wished and hoped to see Trey Young play in that spot and have those guys out there, uh, the younger, younger players out there for the future and sort of set the stage for what's to come. But Trey will be back you know, almost certainly uh, multiple times in the future. So uh, hopefully he'll have an, uh, an opportunity to play crunch time. But when he was on the court, he held his own, I'd say more than held his own with a double-double in less, less, less than 16 minutes. So um, overall, a good weekend for Trey Young. Obviously, the controversy is what it is at the uh, at the end of the Sunday night event. But the game was fun in itself if you appreciate the league and cover the league as a whole. So, you know, overall, a pretty good weekend for Trey Young. And we'll be back, of course, with more actual Hawks coverage <laughs> looking ahead, um, both from now until the game on Thursday. So... With all that out of the way, I have a quick read before we get to the interview with Jackson Frank, and it comes from the good folks at Theragun. The stress of daily life weighs on us all, whether you're an elite athlete or just a regular person trying to get through the day. Muscle pain and muscle tension are a real thing. That's why I use Theragun, the handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combination of depth, speed, and power. I've dealt with back pain for years, and Theragun has been a blessing to use to go ahead and alleviate some of that. Theragun products are used by over 250 professional sports teams, worldwide physical therapists, trainers, chiropractors, celebrities, athletes, and everyday people in over 40 countries. Feel better naturally, treat your pain, and get back to your life with Theragun. Try Theragun risk-free for 30 days or get your money back by going to theragun.com slash locked on. For a limited time, my listeners to the podcast get a free charging stand with purchase. That's a $79 value. That is theragun.com slash locked on, theragun.com slash locked on. And without further delay, here is my interview with Jackson Frank. Jackson, thank you for taking the time to come on the podcast. How are you, my friend? Doing well. Appreciate you having me on. It's my pleasure. Uh, we did this once last year, and I appreciate you coming back. And uh, you know, it's it's still fairly early, but you know, I had to file a mock draft on Sunday evening into Monday. I know you're, you know, always keeping up your stuff when it comes to the draft. And uh, as the Hawks sort of transition into this stretch run where the playoffs are not really a thing anymore, it's there's people that want draft coverage. So here we are. Right on. I'm happy to be of service. Then <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, I'm gonna. We're definitely going to get to the top guys, and eventually, it's, I, I promise. But I wanted to, because I'm a college basketball nerd still, um, I wanted to ask you about the team that you cover, which is Gonzaga. Um, I, I like them quite a bit. Um, and not, I mean, obviously in a college basketball sense as well, but they have a couple prospects as well. So I figured I would, I'd start you off with a curveball and ask you about the guys that you watch the most. So give me give me your takes on, the, uh, on Gonzaga, both college basketball and uh, any draft guys that you see as uh, viable for this year. Yeah, um... So I the two the so the two guys I have ranked inside my top sixty are Killian Tilly and Joel Yai. Um <clears throat> I still just like Tilly. I know he has all these issues injury wise and health wise, but um, just watching him every game, it's in, incredible. Like how good he is, and um, I think he's missed seven or eight games now this year, and you can just tell such a drastic difference. Like I think they probably go from like a top five team in the country to a top twenty five, top thirty team without him. Um, I think he's that important to what they do. Um, so he's a top 30 guy for me. Still, I like the shooting. I like the IQ, the passing, the defense. I think all of that kind of, assuming he can stay healthy, makes him a valuable role player in some capacity. And then uh, Ayayi is a guy who has been pretty interesting, broken out this year and kind of is his second, yeah, he's a redshirt sophomore, so second year, uh, second active year. Uh, can shoot a little bit off the dribble, uh, can run a pick and roll, um, but still have some decent concerns about kind of his awareness and, IQ defensively in his frame. Um, he's pretty like flexible, which I think allows him to get to his spots as a driver, but um, not very strong, not very quick, quick or you know, not a lot of burst. But um, that's kind of where I'm at with my Gonzaga prospects. And I know Corey Kispert and Philip Petrucci are a couple other guys that are on on the kind of the mainstream radar, but I'm less 
enthused about them from an NBA perspective. I, I would trust you more, on, especially on those guys, than, uh, than the consensus because you see them all the time. I, I love I loved Tilly. In fact, I was standing there in his post-workout um, interview last year and talked to him after he actually got hurt in his Hawks workout. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't remember who it was. My apologies. But there was someone who covered Gonzaga, who was covering Gonzaga last year and was messaging me wanting the uh, info on, on, uh, on Killian Tilly because he had got hurt right, basically right in front of us. I, we didn't see it, obviously, because it was in a workout. But uh, interesting enough, I've always liked him. Like, obviously, the health stuff is a factor. But every, every time I see him, like, in the late second round as a, uh, in mock drafts, I get a little excited because the Hawks have what is projected to be a uh, 50s second round pick coming to them. And if he was there, then it's kind of a no brainer for me. Cause he's, he, I think he's uh, the health stuff is real, but if he's able to stay healthy, he's very intriguing. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, obviously you feel like, I mean, it seems like the Hawks have kind of their front court lockdown, uh, assuming they uh, offer Collins a big contract with Capella and Collins, but with Tilly, I mean, I think he pairs well there because you can, you can kind of run him because he can shoot. You can kind of, you can pair him with either one of those rim runners and, um, his team defense too should help, especially for a guy like Collins. I know he's improved, but um, he's still not actually the most uh, punctual uh, help defender until he's pretty good at that. So yeah, I think obviously yeah, I, I would take him in the first round, but uh, yeah, if he's in the second round, I think that's definitely something uh, to be looking at. And ESPN had a mock draft today, and they had him at 60th, so um, kind of seems to be his range in that 50 to 60. But I mean, if he keeps getting little uh, bruises and whatever. Uh, getting dinged up throughout the year, then maybe he drops out of the six, top sixty altogether. But um, definitely someone that I think teams should still be looking at. For sure, uh, and I want I want to start you there to sort of warm you up a little bit. But uh, we'll, we'll get into the top guys now. And you ref- you referenced the uh, the bigs. I actually had a little bit of a discussion today offline with some people about this. But you know, obviously the Hawks made their big investments at the deadline, getting Clint Capella and even Dwayne Debbin. They traded um, and took on some money there to get him, so they've shored up their center spot. But um, in advance of that, a lot of the talk from Hawks fans, people that observed this team was about centers in the draft. And now that's kind of cool for obvious reasons. But um, somebody asked me today about a Kongwu specifically about whether he would be in play if the Hawks, you know, had like the eighth pick or something like that. And he was still on the board and I like him quite a bit, but I, I guess I'll, I'll flip it to you as more of almost conceptual. And then we'll talk about the centers as they are, but um, you know, the Hawks now have a guy in Clint Capella who signed for three seasons would it make sense in your mind to use a top 10 pick on a guy like Okongwu who is a center, but who also might be the best player available? Yeah, no, I mean, before the Capella trade, I, I love that fit there. Um, I think kind of giving Okongwu a guy like Trey Young can kind of set the table for him pretty easily would have been awesome. But now I don't think that's the way they should go. Um, I don't have Okongwu in a tier by himself as a number one prospect. He's my number two guy right now. Um, I think there's other good options. I think a guy like Danny Avdia, Tyrese Maxey, Killian Hayes would all be kind of better uh, allocation of resources because I have seven guys in my top tier. And while I love a Congo and think he's the second best prospect in this class, I don't think his, I don't think the lack of fit in Atlanta over can override. Uh, I don't think his talent can override the lack of fit in Atlanta compared to one of those ball handlers or guys who can kind of alleviate pressure for, for Trey Young. Yeah, I tend to agree. Um, I guess my follow-up would be, what happens if he's the only guy in that tier available to you? That's the sort of, again, this is more of a theoretical conversation, but I find it interesting to talk to people that follow the draft to like how hard are your tier lines because if you evaluate a prospect as you know in their own tier and he's the only guy left, but also not a great positional fit, and this happened last year with the Hawks and point guards, and even probably maybe even still now with point guards, where we were talking about Darius Garland and Kobe White last year versus having Trey Young already in the roster and almost wanting to cross those guys off. And this year, maybe some of the same thing at point guard and center. So if it got a situation where for some reason a Kongwu fell and the Hawks were picking eight or nine and all your other guys were off the board, then then would you consider something like that? Or is it just a firm situation where you have to have guys that you cross off for certain teams? No, I, I think in that case I would probably do it just because, I mean, if you're the eighth or ninth pick, whatever it is, and there's nobody else left in, that I would kind of deem in my first tier, um, then by, by all means, yeah, I would uh, at least – I would at least consider it for sure. Um, I don't think it'd be a terrible decision um, because, yeah, at that point, like the best player available is worth it. He's been so so good, and he's I mean, he's nineteen, nineteen December. Like, um, I've I've been looking kind of just at some of his like statistical measures, and he grades out so well. And I mean, it's just impressive. So, um, yeah, I think he'd be worth it there. And, and like, and by all means, I mean like Capella's got three years left, but then still like you have you get what seven or eight years of uh, a Congo, um, and especially kind of a and because if you were that low on the, the in the draft board or whatever on like the eighth or ninth pick, 
um, the salary wouldn't be that high, so you'd be investing not a ton of money into a guy that could be your long-term center still, um, and is quite a bit younger than Capella, I think six years or so, yeah. seven years younger. So, yeah, I don't think it'd be a terrible decision at all because I still think Collins is kind of in a weird spot where you don't want to play him all the time at center, So um, you kind of, and you want to make it work with Capella. So if you had a really high-level backup for two or three years, it wouldn't be a terrible investment at all. Yeah, I think we're in the same place generally on all that stuff. I am big on a Kong Wu. I, I do kind of find it interesting that um, I, I don't want to say mainstream, but a lot of a lot of people like yourself and myself that do this um, seem to have a Kong Wu higher than people like in they're doing prominent mock drafts, etc. It's too early to really care about all this stuff. But is he just a situation in your opinion? Is it is it more that centers are being devalued, which I know is definitely a thing, or is it? that he doesn't have the the typical size or is it a combination of both? Like, what do you think kind of inspires that divide? Because I, know I talked to a couple of people already on the podcast this year that all have a Kongwu as like a pretty solid top five guy, but normally you don't see him going in mocks until a little bit later. And even the mock that I just filed, he went a little bit later because from teams that I can get a hold of, nobody's, not nobody, but a lot of teams don't have him as high as people like you and I do. Yeah, I would say, I would say it's a combination of things. I think one, the size, yeah, is an issue. Um, that's probably one of my biggest concerns is he's only 6'9", uh, has about a 7-foot wingspan or so, um, which is fine but not great. Uh, and then he also wasn't a super highly rated recruit. Uh, I don't think he played the McDonald's All-American game, so he didn't have that kind of benefit on his side. Um, and then, yeah, I think people still are kind of in this weird kind of backlash from the Warriors and the Rockets kind of switch everything and uh, attack the, the weakest link in terms of kind of avoid centers. Um, so that's where I think it would stem. Um, but yeah, it is, it is weird because he's been so, so good. And there's been so few of those, play, like there have not been many freshmen in this year that are, are kind of living up to their, their hype. Um, and it's kind of, it's a rough class for sure. So he's kind uh, of the only one, by the way, like, at, least, at least at the top, I think he's probably the only one that is actually living up to the bill. Um, that was rated as a top, what, 10, 15 guy coming in. I can't even think of another guy. Maybe Maxi would be the closest thing. Yeah, or Coro. Coro's been pretty good. Yeah, he, he struggled somewhat in in conference play as they've adjust, teams have adjusted him not really being a shooter. But um, I think he's he's uh, exceeded expectations, and he's the only guy you could really say that about. Um, so yeah, I would say maybe the height is the biggest thing. Um, but I think he can play center full time, and you're but you're also seeing because the USC runs two bigs with him and Rakosovic, so um, he does play a lot of power forward. So. Um, uh, yeah, I think that size, again, is probably the biggest issue, and that's my biggest concern, even as someone who was a big supporter of him. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, and I feel like every year there's a guy or two that gets dinged for whatever reason. Last year it was Brendan Clark that we were all just super high on, and he didn't go like he should have gone. And then a few minutes, a few months later, it's like, oh, everybody missed on Brendan Clark. It's like, who could have seen that coming, Jackson? <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding, but I'm also not. Uh-huh. Um Moving, I mean, moving on from there, I think it's a natural segue to a guy that I know you are lower on because I'm looking at your big board right now. Um, is James Wiseman, who, again, the Hawks probably aren't going to take either one of these guys most likely now. But after discussing them a ton, and they're of course two of the bigger names in the uh, in the class overall, I guess the easiest way to put this is: what don't you like about Wiseman, and why do you have him a lot lower than most people do? Yeah, for me with Wiseman, I so I don't really think he's going to be a shooter. Um, he didn't shoot well from the line in. AU and his mechanics are kind of wonky. He kind of has like a, kind of this like launch like kind of over his head. It's just a weird. I, I don't really think it's conducive to him being a, a three point shooter. He doesn't pass much. Um, he's not a quick leaper, whereas a Kongu is super bouncy and light off the floor. Um, quick off the floor, uh, Wiseman takes a lot longer to load up to, to contest shots and dunk and all that. Um, he's not very good in pick and roll defense. If, if you have to do anything other than just deep drop like he can't really turn his hips quickly he's not a very quick lateral mover um so well i think there's some things to like i mean seven one with a seven six wingspan that alone is going to be huge like he's going to be able to finish plays and be a solid pick and roll guy and deter plays at the basket because of his size he just doesn't feel like a guy who i really want to center anything around like i, I just I, I just don't think he is a guy who's going to be making impact at the highest level um on the highest level of basketball my goodness, my words are not coming out very eloquently today. Um, <laughs> That's all right. But, yeah, his archetype, I just think, is someone who's a solid rim roller but not a very versatile defender who is a little bit jumpy as a rim protector. Uh, doesn't feel like someone I, I could really buy into impacting, impacting winning at the highest uh, degree. Yeah, I mean, I have him higher than you, but I also agree with most of what you said there. I've, I've never loved his offense. I think 
he thinks more of himself offensively than he probably needs to. Would you say that's fair? We just just in watching yeah, him play. For, yeah, for sure. I I wrote a piece on him, kind of why I was so low on him, maybe back in October or so, and I I had some phrasing about like, yeah, he he his confidence outweighs his abilities uh, a lot. Like he let, he wants to be a face up scorer a lot, but he would be better off just sealing guys off three feet from the basket and dunking. Um, he likes to operate in that twelve to fifteen foot range and settle for a lot of jumpers, which is frustrating to watch because he's like I said, he's huge. Like seven one with a seven six wingspan is just a ginormous person. Yeah, he actually has the size that team that makes teams drool, and that's why and that's at least part of the reason why he's gonna go as high as he's probably going to go. Um but I, I generally agree. Like I never loved his offense. I think defensively is where you have to buy it. Um I'm a little higher than you, I think. But at the same time, unless you just really think he's gonna be like a defensive player of the year level upside player it's it's kind of hard to use a top five pick on a guy with his makeup and with the way the league is moving that's kind of where i am on in general on centers but you kind of have to be awesome and i think a Kongu has been awesome this year like in pretty much every possible way his numbers are off the charts wiseman didn't play a ton but when he did play he was fine i mean it wasn't like he was not a good player at the college level but he was not lighting the world on fire like a Kongu. and if a Kongu was was 6 11 even much less 7 1 he would be what consensus number one probably if he had real 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 center size yeah if you gave if you gave a kongu wiseman's measurables it would be uh pretty incredible yeah i watched those wiseman games i know the numbers were there he shot like 70 something percent from the field and was putting up double doubles and quite a few blocks but it felt like an improvement from some of the stuff i saw before he before college but it didn't feel like enough of an improvement for people be like oh yeah this guy's a top 10 top eight pick um just like yeah, yeah he'll put up some numbers but i don't think he's without shooting or passing or really elite face-up scoring, I'm just not sure, like, what I'm buying into here. Like, and if it, the defense, he's just not quite disciplined enough and not te- technically sound enough to be um, a defensive player. I mean, you look at the, probably the two best rim protectors in the NBA, Gobert and Embiid, and they're just so technically sound and so smart um, with their positioning and every all that. Like, that's just not something Wiseman has, and it's tough to really develop to that level of, of defense if you don't show it at a, at a young age. Yeah, I, I agree, and I think it—you know—his upside on defense is is real. But I, yeah, I, I have to be a lot more confident in it to take him up there. And for the Hawks, it's even less appealing now, um, just because of where they already are with their roster, as we discussed earlier. Um, let's transition a little bit to more perimeter guys, since that's probably what the Hawks are going to be looking at. And uh, I'm not going to spoil it if you don't want, if you don't want to spoil. But you did post it on Twitter. But uh, you like Killian, Killian Hayes quite a bit. I, I like Killian Hayes too, but I think uh, you are quite high on him. So tell me, tell, tell me why? Because I know you know typically, as you well know, um, fans of NBA teams that live in America don't see guys who are not playing college basketball a whole lot. So why, why do people like Killian Hayes, and why are you high on him? Yeah. So for maybe like a month or so, I had a Congo as my number one guy, and it was. A lot of it because he was so productive and so good, and I kind of liked his ability to translate. Um, but then I realized that I think Hayes had also been really productive, and he kind of plays, I think, he he's his size, I think, is better suited for his role as a 6'5 ball handler, and so I didn't think it was, if I was going to apply that logic for one guy, I had to apply it for Hayes as well. Um, but he's 6'5, uh, which is huge for a ball handler. Um, I mean, look, another, another guy, like, I think, Cole Anthony 6'2", 6'3", and Hayes is just way bigger than him. Uh, really young, too. Everyone raves about Anthony Edwards being young, but both he and uh, both he and Hayes don't turn 19 until, I think, next August. Or this August, I should say. I guess six months or whatever. But uh, smart team defender. Really, really good passer. Hasn't shot historically well from three during his, his time as a professional, but really good touch. I think he's almost at 90% from the free throw line this year. Um, so I, I just like the IQ, the size. Uh, probably the strength he'll develop into. You already see, I think I posted a clip the other day, like he, he couldn't drive past a guy in their most recent game, but he was just so much bigger than a defender and so much stronger that he just kind of brushed him off and created space for a floater. Um, so I think that's a huge plus. 6'5", can lead an offense is awesome. I think it'll help compensate a little bit for his lack of burst because he's just so, he is not quick at all in terms of creating separation, getting downhill versus guys. Um, but just, yeah, the IQ, the passing, the, the shooting upside, uh, and the size and the production at such a high level uh, at a young age is just really impressive to me. Yeah, I, I like him as well. What do you make of him for a team like the Hawks that already obviously has their lead playmaker in Trey Young? Can he function alongside a guy like Trey? Trey has not played off the ball a ton, although I think he probably can if he figures out how to do it because of the shooting. Uh, do those guys work for you long term if the Hawks uh, were in position to draft Hayes? 
Yeah, I would say my one concern, one of my concerns with Hayes is he's pretty stagnant off the ball. Um, basically kind of only serving as a spot-up guy. He doesn't do a lot of cutting, doesn't do a lot of screening or anything like that. So I think he'd have to really develop there for it to be an optimal fit. Um, but I do buy him as a shooter, like I said. And also, if, if Trey can develop a little bit off the ball, um, I, I think it would work really well. Um, but yeah, that would be one of my bigger concerns. But I do think because both can shoot and can handle... Um, and are generally pretty good decision makers. I think Hayes could improve in that regard too. He's an awesome, wildly talented passer, but I think sometimes he kind of goes for the home run over the single. Um, so that that would be one of my concerns, kind of scaling scaling him down a little bit. Um, but I still do like his potential in that role because he is going to shoot, and he's big, and he can defend. He, he can defend off the ball. He's a smart team defender, which I think would help Trey as well. So um, that's where I'm at. Where I'm at but. Uh, yeah, I think there would definitely be some growing pain in terms of Hayes adjusting to an off-ball role. Yeah, I mean, one of the things with, you know, every guard size player in this class, if you're the Hawks anyway, is just figuring out how they work with Trey. For instance, you have a guy like Cole Anthony, and I-, I can't imagine how that would work. Maybe you disagree, but I just can't see that working. It's kind of the same thing I thought about last year with guys like Kobe White and Darius Garland. I just don't know how that works now that Trey is firmly established. And it's different for teams that didn't have that number one guy. Like Cleveland got killed last year partaking Garland and you know I didn't love that but you couldn't have argued that Sexton was their guy for sure whereas in Atlanta Young is their guy we all know that so um is there anybody that you think can't work with Trey that's a top 10 top 15 kind of guard and because Anthony's the only guy that I have on my list but obviously we'll, we'll get to LaMelo Ball because he's another one that's interesting when you try to factor him in with a potential Hawks fit yeah I don't know I, I'm actually probably a little more optimistic than you with with regard to Cole off the ball. I saw some good things in high school, and uh, he's done pretty well off screens this year. I know it's a small sample according to Synergy, and that can be a little frivolous, but um, a little tenuous, I should say. But um, I don't know. It's it's tough. I the, I think the easy one you could say would be a guy like Anthony Edwards, but he's been really impressive this year as a cutter, which actually probably been the thing he's done best um, in terms of you put him in the baseline and the guy – Someone else starts to drive, and he's really good at cutting along the baseline. He's so big and strong, he can finish there. Um, I don't think anyone really comes to mind that is a glaring, uh, incongruous fit. Uh, we can talk about LaMelo in a bit, but for the most part, I do think this class is probably going to serve the Hawks pretty well because you can go on a, a number of different routes uh, to kind of supplement Trey and shore up some of the, hole, shore up some of the holes that have uh, presented themselves in, the, in this roster. Yeah, I mean, quickly on, on Cole, I, I think I worry about the defense a little bit more, honestly, than offense. But y- your point is a good one that you know he, he can function, especially if you buy his jump shot, which I think you probably have to, given where you have him ranked. Um, I mean, let's talk about Cole Anthony for a second, and let's just do this now. Um, do you think the jump shot works? Because that's been a lot of talking point. I, even today on Twitter, I was strolling because I was uh, it was a holiday, so I was around a little bit more, and people were starting to pile on Cole's shooting numbers to some degree. So, do you buy the jump shot? Because if that that it makes it easier and more palatable if you buy that, because he's not huge, but he's also not tiny. He's not. It's also not tiny either. Yeah, I, I definitely buy the jumper. Um, that's. I mean. I am still in on him to, to, to a degree, but he's fallen so far. Like, I had him in his own tier uh, as number one guy when the season started. So, uh, for him to fall into a seven-man tier as, like, the fourth or fifth prospect uh, looks okay when you don't see where I had him previously. But um, definitely a lot lower <laughs> on him. But, uh, yeah, the shooting is the thing I buy the most offensively. Um, he's shown some pretty advanced stuff as a pull-up shooter. I think he ranks, like, in the 60-something percentile uh, in off-the-dribble shooting this year, uh, according to Synergy, which is pretty solid. Uh, already has that kind of going left, step back down, uh, which is really impressive. Um, and I think his his release is kind of weird, but it, it's it doesn't have a lot of hitches, which I like. I think it's pretty succinct. Um, but yeah, I think that's kind of the where most of his goodness this year ends. It'd be with the shooting. Uh, I know he's only shooting like seventy two percent or something from the line, but he was almost a ninety percent guy in between high school and AAU throughout his career. So um, I do buy that he's going to be an awesome shooter and. Uh, a fairly versatile one, but there are a lot of other <laughs> concerns with him that he's shown throughout the year, despite a pretty brutal team context. Yeah, I uh, I generally agree. I think I'm a little lower, but I, I get it to be sure. And I think people have almost gone too far now because it has been brutal to watch at times, but that's not all on him. And I think he's still pretty talented. 
Um, you mentioned Anthony Edwards before. He, of course, playing his basketball about an hour from where I am currently standing at Georgia has been a popular target um, and been a number one for a lot of people along the way. Um, has not been fantastic this year um, at Georgia, statistically. Um, not been super efficient, etc. What do you like and what do you don't like about him? Because um, I think all the way through, he's been the one guy that I've been asked about the most for the Hawks for obvious and somewhat obvious reasons. Yeah, he... He's another guy who's frustrating, just like just like Cole. Um, I I like his ability to create space off the dribble. I think he should be a pretty good pull up shooter. Um, I like his strength and size for a guard. He's only like six four, six five, but I mean, he, you could convince me. And the way he plays, you, he looks like six seven, six eight sometimes with how how physically overwhelming he is against guys at times. Um, I like I like his on ball defense. His flashes, at least, uh, those are pretty inconsistent. Um, but those times you do see him locked in are pretty frightening for the, the opposition. Um, just his ability to slide and, and get into guys, uh, kind of their their pockets and uh, kind of just get into their bubble, I guess, is really impressive. Um, other than that, there's not a ton to like, but the pull-up shooting and the on-ball defense ability with, and the ability to get downhill. Um, he's one of the only guys in this class who can sit, consistently create their own shot uh, off the dribble or as a driver, which is very valuable. So... Um, that's the things I like about him. The things I don't like are his inclination to settle for tough jumpers, his poor awareness as an off-ball defender, his lackadaisical nature as an on-ball defender a lot. Um, I don't think he's a great passer. I think for the most part his passing won't have to be exceptional because he will generate a lot of attention just to his ability to shoot off the dribble and attack the rim, so that'll make things easier. But um, I still do think he misses a lot of passes. Um, and he has kind of this – he can't really like – dribble north south that's really where he's awesome going side to side and creating those that space for step backs but when you kind of get him going downhill especially with his left hand you can see he's pretty limited there which is a bummer um so yeah i i could go on and on about the things that frustrate me with anthony <laughs> edwards but i do think there's still too much upside as a scorer uh and defender to really be all the way out on, out on him in a class like this yeah, my number one thing, um, I think you might have even mentioned it there, is that he just settles so much for jumpers. It drives me crazy. Because when he, when he actually attacks, the numbers are pretty good. Um, but I think he seemingly trusts his jump shot too much, perhaps, or maybe just you know doesn't want to go in there and get hurt, or whatever, however you want to say it. He does not attack the rim as much as he needs to attack the rim. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, There's, there's definitely an overconfidence uh, in terms of just like his, his ability to shoot off the dribble. And I think some people... In my opinion, uh, incorrectly, been like, oh, like you know, like he just doesn't care this year. Like Georgia stinks, and while those things may be true, this thing, these these same things plagued him going back to high school in AAU. So I don't really buy that. He hasn't totally changed his play style or anything. He's always been a guy who was not maximized his physical tools as a scorer. Um, but if you can get the right coach to kind of tap into that downhill slashing ability, um, there are not going to be that many guys in the NBA who can stop him from getting the basket because he truly is. Uh, an incredible athlete. He's not Zion or anything, but he's definitely kind of that next tier of athleticism. Um, but yeah, the, the other thing he does that's kind of that bothers me is he takes off like sometimes too far from the rim, even when he does get there. Um, I think he's shooting like seventy percent at the rim this year, but only like fifty something percent in the half court. And I think uh, you see some limitations there. He d- just doesn't quite time his jumps right when he tries to attack the basket and score at the rim. But um, but yeah, I think if you can get in, a, if you can get him to shift his mindset as a scorer there's a lot to like because he is so devastating when he does decide to go downhill. Yep. I agree on, uh, all of that. Um, all hard shift again here. Um, Denny Abdia has gotten more national shine the last week or two. I've always liked him, but I feel like he's now being noticed by more people. I uh, may not noticed by more people that do what we do, but more fans because of just the nature of like, I think ESPN wrote about him that usually sheds a light more on a guy. Um, than, than they had in, in the past, but um, I know he's, I, I believe, in your top tier. What do you make of him? Because he's another guy like Killian Hayes that I know a lot of Hawks fans and a lot of fans in general have not seen. Yeah, he he's tough. Um, I'd say if I felt confident him being a good shooter, he'd probably be my number one guy. Um, but he's like a 55 to 60% free throw shooter throughout his professional career, which is just brutal. And it's weird because I don't think, like, like I've talked to a lot of people about it and we kind of all just settle on like it being mental, uh, which is seems like kind of BS, but he gets adamantly or like very vehemently frustrated with himself when he misses free throws. Um, it's kind of startling to watch at times. It's, it's cool. You can tell how competitive he is, but uh, I think the issue with his shooting too is it's kind of inconsistent footwork. Um, at least I've noticed as a pull-up shooter. 
Um, but the things to like, uh, really, really good team defender, super smart, has awesome instincts for a guy so young. Uh, I think he's a guy who you're not obviously going to rely on to be your primary rim protector, but he's someone who can deter drives or protect the rim. Uh, he was just dominant in, in FIBA this past year when Israel won the, uh, uh, I think it was FIBA U18 or U19 tournament as a rim protector, just uh, eating up plays all the time. It was pretty uh, pretty awesome to watch. Uh, really good passer too, especially in transition. Uh, just makes some of the most incre- incredible passes I've ever seen in transition. Uh, I'm sure I have a few of them on my Twitter. If you just search Denny Avdia, whoever listened to this, you'll find some pretty sweet highlights of him making plays in transition. Good post passer as well, which I like at his size. Um, and kind of his application of strength. If he can play the small four, I think he'll have some pretty good post-passing ability. Um, and then as a driver, too, he does a really good job of shielding his man away so he can score at the rim, which is impressive. Um, and he's good at kind of setting his drives up in terms of kind of maybe getting baiting guys into things he's going to pull up um, and then attacking all the way to the rim. Um, so a lot to like there. Maybe a little weaker than you'd like for a guy who's going to play the four a lot, um, just in terms of, kind of his strength, but... Um, if he can play the three, I think he definitely can withhold his own there. Um, but yeah, if the shooting, if I felt confident in the shooting, I would be really, really in on him, but I just can't get there. Um, even if some of his mental, it just, the, the numbers just, I think there's some validity to the numbers and I can't overlook them. I can't, I can't put a guy number one who I don't think can shoot. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, he's a, he's a ball handler. That's just something I, I can't quite get to. Um, yeah, I'm actually, it's funny because I think my two favorite non, you know, non clear guards or clear centers in this class, like basically, you know, wings or forwards, uh, my two favorite guys are uh, Denny and Isaac Okoro, neither, both of whom ha- have shooting concerns. And it's like, if these guys could shoot and we knew they could shoot, it'd be really nice and be really easy to project them. But because we don't know that, um, it gets tough because, you know, the question I've probably gotten the most about Denny in this limited sample is like, what happens if he can't shoot? Like, does it still work? And it's like, well, it, it can still work. I think he can still be a pretty good player, but he's not going to be worth a top, you know, five, seven pick if he can't shoot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's it's, such a, it's so emblematic of the class. You know, Coro and Abdi are awesome players. If they can shoot, then you could definitely put them as a top two players in the class if you wanted to. But obviously, that's they that it can't because this class can't be easy like that. Um, There's nothing yeah. nothing easy in this class whatsoever. Nothing. Yeah, exactly. So Denny in 2017-18 shot 50% from the line. Last season, 51%. This year, 52%. But he's at 39% from three, um, which is encouraging to see at least. But yeah, it's just tough for me to really buy into him as a primary ball handler guy if I don't think he can command much gravity as a, as a pull-up sh- shooter, unfortunately. But still a lot to like and definitely going to be a valuable player at worst uh, with his team defense and passing and transition creation um, and driving. I think there's a lot to like there. Um, but I felt, like I said, similar things probably last year about Jarrett Culver, and he has not really been able to score at all in the NBA. So um, not they're different players, and I think Denny probably is uh, – I probably feel a little more confident in Denny comparing to Jarrett Culver last year. But um, I've been burned once by a guy who I thought could shoot and probably couldn't even when there are signs right in front of me. So I can't quite <laughs> go, all, go, go all in on FDL like I did Culver last year. Yeah, I, I totally get it, and I, I know I mentioned Okoro. What do you what do you make of him? It's not exactly the same thing, but he's a guy that just does a ton of things well and has one glaring question mark. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's a guy who I generally generally like. He's right in the middle of my second tier. My second tier only has four players for some reason. I don't know. It just shook out that way. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's my number ten prospect. As again, I just can't get there with the shooting. Um, and the thing that def- differentiates him to for Denny to me is. Well, he's a much better athlete. I think I think Denny's passing is miles better, and that says a lot about Denny's passing because Okoro's is pretty good for his kind of his projected role. Um, but Okoro, yeah, a really really good on ball defender. Like I know, kind of the, the new in vogue thing, uh, you know, his off ball defense is like way more important thing. And while I think I would generally agree, like Okoro is generally special. I think he can be a guy who can really affect those star scores in a way that most on ball defenders can't. Um, because he's he's really strong, he's bouncy, he's quick, he's light on his feet. Um, he was capable of containing Kyra Lewis at times and uh, off the uh, in terms of getting, shutting down drives, and that is really impressive because Lewis is probably the quickest guy in the draft from a standstill. So a Corbin will do that at times this year um, when they played Alabama is just something you don't see very often. And then he's a fairly smart player as well. The passing's pretty cool. Um, I like his ability as a slasher too. His handles really improved. Um, it was really limiting uh, in high school, and you've seen some genuine improvements there that are helping him make more plays as an offensive guy. Um, but yeah, just like Abdia, all that comes back to the shooting. If I were confident in him as a shooter, 
he'd be a top five guy for me, but his shot's kind of weird. It's almost like it almost kind of shot puts it from his shoulder at times. Yep. Uh, it's kind of weird. It's improved, I think, since high school again, but still it's tough. There's kind of, there's definitely a ceiling there in terms of how much, how many technical improvements you can make before you have to completely overhaul it. So, um, still a lot to like with Okoro in terms of his on-ball and off-ball defense and his, his slashing. And, um, I think you can use him as a big man at times because he is so strong and can finish with other hand. Um, if he were a little bigger, I would, I would probably have him as my first tier, but he's only six, I want a six, six with like a six, eight, six, nine wingspan. If you were six, eight with a six, 11 wingspan, um, and could definitely play more, you know, have the same like fluidity as for, for a shooting guard or a small four, then I'd be more in on him. But, um, there is just some size issues again, kind of like Denny and a we've talked about that you can't overlook because guys are just bigger in, in the NBA. And that is kind of a limiting factor for some undersized players. Yeah, it does matter, and uh, Okoro is a guy I'm. I'm just like predisposed to liking, but uh, you know, if he doesn't shoot, it's it, it gets tough to do more than just have be like a. I think I, can, I think he can just like kind of like Denny in some ways. He can still be a quality role player without shooting well, but he's got to be able to shoot well to be more than that. So we will see. Um, last guy I want to make sure we get back to before I forget is Lamelo. He's the only guy we, that we didn't discuss specifically. That's a top you know seven eight guy for most for most people, um, and he's interesting because. He's big and talented, and people haven't seen him play a lot since high school because of where he was playing, and now he's not playing. And I don't know; it's it's a tough evaluation, even if everybody can kind of agree that he's really talented. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, it's, it's just a bummer that he got shut down for the year. He shut himself down. Um, obviously, do whatever he needs to to maximize his potentials as a draft pick and get healthy and all that. Um, but yeah, just as a, as a viewer, it was a bummer to see that happen. But yeah, the other day, I just I just like searched. I think I just went back and like searched on Twitter my all my videos of Lamelo and just watched a bunch of them and I was like, God, this guy is just so fun and so unique and just an incredible like fun player to watch. Um, yeah, his his passing creativity is off the charts. It's honestly just something I haven't seen from a prospect very often. Um, his ability to do things at weird angles, anticipate how a defense is going to rotate, uh, make passes from spots you don't think he should be able to make passes um, are really incredible. And then. He's got pretty good. I think people have kind of compared him a lot to Lonzo, but the thing I like more than Lamelo is he just feels like a more flexible player. Like his ability to get through tight spots and beat traps and stuff is and contort his body and finish at the rim and things like that is something that Lonzo never had. He's he's such a stiff player. I think that's part of the reason he's maybe underwhelmed in the NBA. Um, even if he seems to be kind of turning around. Um, it's something I don't think Lamelo has. He's just not stiff. He's very much more flexible and kind of bendy uh, ball handler, which is which is awesome. The jumper. Yeah, kind of the same thing as Lonzo. You get concerns, um, but the touch is really, really impressive on floaters, um, and even see that kind of on passes. His placement and accuracy on passes. Um, I think probably he and Halliburton, Tyrese Halliburton, are probably the two best in terms of putting the ball in the proper spot for guys, whether it's a pocket pass or a kick out to a shooter or whatever. Um, is really impressive there. Um, so yeah, I, he <laughs> just like Idea and. Okoro, he's another guy where if he shoots, he's going to be really, really good. And if he doesn't, uh, I think he probably got a little more boomer bust potential than them just because he he is a primary ball handler, so he kind of has to fall back on that scoring gravity a little more. Yep. Um, but yeah, and defensively, pretty apathetic, but you do see signs of that IQ, especially off the ball. Um, I thought that got better as the year went on. And his mechanics as a shooter, I think, also improved during NBL play. Like, just he used to drift a lot and lean back and was always off balance. And I think as the season progressed, he got better about setting his feet and being upright and maintaining balance or at the very least jumping forward or something like that, rather than leaning back and all these wonky things. Um, so that was the thing I, I kind of liked. I thought he got better as the season went on, which I think is really important. Um, that's another reason I'm fairly high on RJ Hampton. We haven't talked about him, but I thought he got better as the NBL season progressed. And I think that's important for young guys because we're drafting them for what their teams draft them for what they could be. And so you, which requires improvement. So when you see that in season from guys, it's, it's very encouraging. Yeah, it definitely is. And, you know, LaMelo, you mentioned the defense there. It, it Especially in Atlanta with Trey already entrenched, um, it could be a tough fit with LaMelo because he, he has the size on the one hand that you would want for someone to play with Trey. But the apathetic defense is a good way to put it. It's not been very good on that end for the most part, even if you can kind of see the flashes and then and then the shooting. And it, it's, tough to, it's tough to pair Trey with someone who, who has – struggles in defense and shooting if it's one if it's one of the one of the two it's 
probably doable, but if, if LaMelo struggles with a jump shot and defensively, that gets to be trouble zone in a hurry for him, just in general, and especially in Atlanta, when he's not having the ball in his hands as much, because I think that's the one thing that we actually do know about him is that his playmaking is ridiculous. But that kind of gets muted if he's playing with Trey Young. Yeah, for sure, and I, I think I, I'm i fairly confident in his shooting. That's why I have him as a top three guy. Um, he's improved his mechanics, too, I think, uh, back when Cole Zucker was still on Twitter, uh, or cool. on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's doing some, he's, he's helping some of me. He's, he's, he's somewhere. Yeah. Uh, uh, but he, he made some good points. He compared like LaMelo, maybe freshman or sophomore year and how significant the elbow flare was. And it's a lot better now, which is encouraging. Um, and he did, I think he was at 71% or something from the free throw line, which my kind of ambiguous threshold is 70% or better. I can kind of feel confident about projecting them as a shooter. Um, obviously some of that's context dependent, but just, you just showed me some guys numbers. That's kind of where I'd get to. Um, so yeah, I think I'm fairly confident him there, but yeah, there are a lot of question marks, but, um, that's the case with anyone in the top 10 this year, because that's, this class is just brutal to analyze. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, I, I like him a little, I, I have a seven man tier, but I feel pretty firmly entrenched in my top three of, uh, Hayes, Okongwu and Lamello as my, my three guys there. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think he's necessarily a perfect fit alongside Trey. Um, but that would be incredible. Like those two guys in the same backcourt passing the ball would just be the most. Yeah. <laughs> the defense would be brutal for the most part. Um, but I, I, like I said, I do, I do believe in Lamelo's IQ in terms of his team defense, um, which is encouraging, but uh, yeah, it'd be, it'd be certainly a fascinating experiment uh, to watch unfold. Uh, no doubt about that. Yeah. The, uh, I would say the unbiased, analyst in me would really enjoy watching that work or not work depending on if it worked or not it'd be a lot of fun to analyze um i'm not sure if i'm if you put your hawks hat on it's like i'm not really sure i would endorse that and i think i have mellow higher in a vacuum than i would for the hawks but um interesting enough to be sure and i realized i, I short shrifted um one guy that i think we talked about for like two seconds but it was tyrese maxi who people like quite a bit i've always liked tyrese maxi so i want to bring him up real quickly before we move on to some non-elite guys um what do you make of him i know he's in your top tier as well um you know not he's kind of interesting because he's not huge but he plays i think he plays bigger than his size at, t- at times but what do you make of him of course he's the kentucky guard if people don't know yeah uh just like every other guy, like coming into the year, he's underwhelmed a little bit. Um, but I still generally am encouraged by him. I think it, you have to at this point just kind of give the guys those Kentucky Kentucky bumps um, for whatever reason. You know, it just seems like guards in Kentucky find a way to make it work in the NBA. Yep. Um, so I, except, I think, except except for the Harrisons, but they were not good in college either. So there you go. yeah, exactly. Um, I guess lottery picks, I should say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I like. He said he plays bigger than size. I really like his strength and balance um, for his size. He's only 6'3", but I think he kind of plays more like 6'5", um, which is cool. And then he's, his burst is pretty good, too. I like his ability to kind of create from a stand, standstill at times. Um, I think that's a pretty valuable thing. There's not a lot of guys in this class, like I've said, that can create for themselves. And I think Max has at least shown some capability of that, which is pretty valuable. Um, and then I really do buy him as a versatile shooter. I know he's only shooting like 30% from three this year, but... Um, he flashed deep range and off-movement shooting in high school in AAU, which is pretty impressive for, uh, for a guy who's 16 or 17. Uh, pretty good touch. I think he's over 80% from the line as well, so um, I'm pretty confident he's going to be a good shooter. I don't think he's going to be at, like a 40% guy on eight attempts or anything, but 37, 38 attempt, or percent on like five attempts a night or something um, in a host of ways, pull-ups or off-screens. I buy that. And the, the on-ball defense is pretty impressive. Um, I've been underwhelmed by his lack of steals and blocks numbers. I thought he was really, really good at that um, in college or in high school. It really popped to me. His playmaking as a defender was one of the reasons I really liked him. Um, but I still do think kind of that strength and that that balance and that quickness is really going to help him, especially on the ball. Um, and I buy him as a smart enough player off the ball that um, yeah, I think he'll make uh, make plays in the NBA. I don't know if it's necessarily a scheme thing where they're asking him to be conservative or not, but. Um, I haven't seen a lot of times this year when I watch him where it's like, oh, he missed, he totally misread that play off the ball or got blown, got blown by in a back cut or something. So uh, I still buy him as a high level defender for a guard. Um, those are kind of all the things I like. I've been underwhelmed by his decision making too a little bit. I thought it was really good in in high school. I think he's kind of struggled now to blend driving and passing uh, when he gets into the lane uh, a little bit. I think he hasn't quite navigated that as well as I had anticipated. Um, and then his, his handle too is fairly loose. I think that's going to be the one big thing that limits him from being a really, really high level self creator. 
Um, he just quite, doesn't quite have the ball handling that a guy like Lamelo has um, to kind of really enable him to get to his spots. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I mean, it's he's interesting because people are going to point to, especially in Atlanta, going to point to that he's not so big and you know playing with Trey. It's kind of a small backcourt if that works out. But I think I don't mind that too much, especially with with the guys the Hawks already have um, in their pipeline. So. I think it would work. He's not a guy I would probably take in the top five if I was the Hawks, but if you get into that range where the Hawks could be in that seven, eight, nine range, he would certainly be a guy that I would be keeping an eye on for Atlanta. Um, we can move on a couple to a couple other guys real quickly here before I let you get out of here. Um, you, you mentioned one of them is Ty, Tyrese Halliburton, who has gotten some um, some more love recently. He's a profoundly weird player, and I think that's why he's interesting to talk about. But he's not playing anymore, so this is kind of all we're going to get for a while on him. He's now out for the season for Iowa State. But um, what do you make of him? Because I think you're kind of where I am in terms of your ranking, but he's just so difficult to figure out what he is going to be able to do, even if the numbers in college were uh, obviously pretty good. Yeah, we're not allowed nice things in this class, apparently. Uh, <laughs> Halliburton, well, I wasn't super high on him. I'm not super high on him compared to maybe consensus. Uh, inarguably, one of the most fun prospects to watch um, because he's so smart and just a funky player. Um, but yeah, I have him, I think, 15th or 14th, right in that third tier. And my biggest issues are I'm just not sure how he provides a lot of value in half-court offense. Um, he's not going to be a pull-up shooter. He doesn't really have the strength or the burst to get to the rim. Um, and those are the two. I think his handle is okay. I don't think it's great. Um, and so all of that combines, I'm just kind of wondering what, like I guess you can run him in pick and rolls, but if teams know he can't really score in pick and rolls, they're going to sell out to stop the weak side kickouts of shooters or stop the pocket pass or things like that. Um, and the one thing that is going in his favor there is he has developed a little bit of a floater this year compared to last year, which is encouraging. Um, kind of the 6 to 8, 10-foot range. Um, I think that'll be something he'll really have to rely on in pick and roll because he's not very good at, at shooting off the dribble, um, even if he's improved his volume this year. Um, but the things to like, the passing is still incredible, even if it's not going to be quite as functional in the NBA as it is uh, in college. He's, I think he and LaMelo are probably the two best passers because they're so smart and creative. Um, he's kind of like LaMelo in that sense that he can make passes from weird angles. And again, like I said earlier, his accuracy on passes is just phenomenal too which I think can be an underrated thing. Um, if the pass is a split second late, that allows the defense to rotate easier. Maybe the guy doesn't catch the ball cleanly and he misses the three for some reason. Um, with Halliburton, that's not a concern. He's always putting the ball in the right spot. Um, his pocket passes are just incredible. Like the, He hits his rollers and stride all the time. It's honestly just one of the most fun things about him. <laughs> um, and the defense, too. Like Some of his reads defensively are, are just phenomenal, too. Um, really good team defender. Even if, again, he's maybe limited somewhat on the ball um, because of a lack of burst in size or lack burst in strength, he's fine size, six six five or whatever. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of defensive playmaking, which I think is cool, and that'll kind of maybe help alleviate some of his issues offensively because if he can play in transition more, get out in the open court and create plays for himself with others um, off of those those defensive plays, um, that'll really help for sure. Yeah, I mean, he's just. I think it's going to work to some to some extent. It's just really hard to figure out like what happens if it doesn't, you know, because he's just so, I don't know. He's really smart, and I like that. I like players that know how to play. He does a lot of things well. Uh, he's just kind of a, I don't want to say one of a kind because that's kind of, it's it's overused, but he really, he really might be one of a kind kind of player. He's just bizarre in a lot of ways. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I, I've loved watching him. I'm definitely bummed that he's out the rest of the year. But I mean, he's averaging two and a half steals a game, um, which is just, I mean, he, play, he, he plays like 37 minutes a night, which is just, Incredible too. I think that's nice. I mean, he he was everything for them. Like yeah, exactly. and they were still under five hundred. I think before he went. Yeah. Out, um, which is which is pretty uh, sad, but um, yeah, the he he's just weird. I, I think I he'll provide value as a spot up shooter. At the very least, he's at forty over forty percent from three two years in a row. Um, I think I don't know if he still is, but uh, I think ninety ninth percentile is a spot up shooter according to Synergy this year and last year. Which spot up shooting can only be so valuable, but. Um, I do like his probably his ability to command defensive respect as a shooter there. And then if you can get them kind of scrambling, I think his IQ and passing will really shine in those situations where the defense is kind of compromised or out of position. Yeah. Um, the shooting definitely helps because, uh, you know, with everything else, it's nice to have that as a fallback. Um, I have two and a half more questions for you and they will be relatively short ones. The first one is the one and a half. Um, 
give me a guy in this class that we've not talked about that's not like a top 10 guy that you like more than the consensus and a guy that you do not like compared to the consensus. Okay. Um, the guy that I, I love um, that I think is only kind of in the mid-30s among mainstream is Kyra Lewis. Um, he We talk about guys who can create their own shot. He is probably along with uh, Edwards and I think I think he's probably better than Maxi. He's one of those guys like his his ability to just create off the dribble is incredible for his for for a point guard. Uh, the burst and change direction and ability to kind of contort his body to get spots he wants is phenomenal. Um, the passing flashes are are really awesome too. Like live dribble skip passes with the offhand, uh, hitting the roller against the trap from 45 feet from the hoop. Um, I think and he's super young too. He's he is. Oh gosh, where is it? Isn't he 18? He's, I think he's yeah. He's only yeah. He's, he's barely younger than or barely older than Anthony Edwards, and Anthony Edwards is one of the oldest guys in the class or youngest guys in the class. So um, I just like I like the blend of potential as a pull-up shooter, uh, the passing and the driving. I think are really valuable, and I think in recent weeks too, I've been encouraged by his improvements. Um, I think he's making more plays offensively, and I think that's important too because he has the potential to be quite good on that end um, with his quickness and. Uh, both laterally and with his hands and whatnot. Um, fairly slight of frame, which is a bummer. Not a very good finisher. Isn't, uh, he, isn't he like 165, 170, something like that? Yeah, yeah. Some, yeah, he's, he's, yeah, he's incredibly thin. Um, so yeah, I, 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 think I get the concerns with him, but I think in this class, a guy who can create for himself and is a pretty good passer and at least shows some pretty incredible passing flashes um, and is improving defensively and has good shooting indicators as someone you have to take a chance on in the lottery. Um, I get the concerns. He's small. He can't really finish, even if he gets to the rim a lot. Um, but I, but I just buy enough to the point of where I got to take a chance on this guy, and especially the way he's been playing recently. Um, I don't know if his actual numbers are improving in terms of scoring efficiency, but I um, put up some pretty incredible games recently. He had a triple double against Auburn last week. Had 37 points against um, Georgia the week before. I think he had like 30 against LSU uh, this past weekend. Uh, like Max, he, or like Halliburton, he plays a ton. I think he plays like 37 minutes a night, and Alabama has like the third fastest tempo in the country. Um, so he gets a little bit of a boost in terms of raw production there because they play so fast, but he like never comes off the floor, and that's, I think, pretty important to him just in terms of endurance is a nice trait to have. Not a headlining trait, but just another another positive for him. It's not it's not every day that you see a, a an 18-year-old sophomore um, for a full season, too. Um, yeah, so yeah. Just the, super the, another nice thing, too. I think it's just it's another point in his favor. Um, the guy that I would say I'm a little lower on um, than consensus would be Obi Toppin. Um, I still like him to an extent. Like, I like watching him play. I think he should make for a solid NBA player, but um, he's a top 10 guy, top 12 guy. It seems a lot around kind of these mock drafts we see that are Intel-based. And for me, I just can't get there because... I really don't think he's going to be a good defender. I think he's going to be a really bad defender in the NBA. And then similarly, a lot of his value comes from post-scoring. A lot of it. Some of it comes from post-scoring. And he has like a weird center, like high center of gravity. And I think you see against other guys who are as strong as him, he really struggles to create kind of leverage against them and get to the spots he wants in the post. And if he can't do, if he can't be as dominant as an interior scorer, I think that'll quell some of his passing ability too. Um, just in terms of the commanding double teams and attention there, um, that'll hurt him a little bit. But um, the big thing is defense. Like he's just he's just a brutal pick and roll defender too, and um, so I have some concerns there. But the offensive package is pretty dang special, so I understand why teams buy into him as much as they do. I just can't get there because I think he's going to be a glaring negative defensively. I think I'm closer to you on Obi than the consensus. I'm probably a little bit higher than you are, but I do understand why he would be a little bit lower because. I worry about bigs that have defensive questions, and I think he definitely has defensive questions. I think I like him more than you, but I totally get it. And as long as no one from the state of Washington listens listens to this podcast, you should be fine on the other two guys that I was going to ask you about. <laughs> I'm sure you've already heard it about um, the two guys from uh, from Washington being super low for you and uh, McDaniels and Stewart, because those guys are interesting. Stewart has actually been pretty good this year. Um, it's just kind of a weird um, NBA projection. McDaniels has been just so bad at basketball. Yeah, the, the Stewart one, I can understand why people like him a little more, but McDaniels, I just, I don't, like, he's just been bad, like, well, flat I, out bad. It's like, funny, I, I, I sat down, I'll let you continue, I sat down to do the mock that I had to file, and um, 
you know, started going through people that I know in the league and I don't have a ton. I'm not Sam Vecini or, or the, SP, or the SPN guys when it comes to sources, but I have some and I try to incorporate them in where guys get put in a mock. So it's not just me and posting a big board. Um, and without fail, NBA teams still have McDaniels so much higher than he, than, they, than he should go. I don't have the stones to put him as low as you did, which I, I actually admire you for. Um, and I said the same thing. It was Brian Schroeder on the podcast recently. I was like, I, I appreciate you guys being willing to just like go out on limbs on certain things. But uh, I, I think McDaniel's, I still, I still put him in the like. I think maybe even late lottery or mid first round because of what I heard. But not, I made sure to write the fact that I just don't see it at all. Like he's, he's just been like flat out bad. Yeah, know. yeah, exactly. And I, I don't think he's the same player as Kevin Knox or anything. But I feel like we got burned already once. A guy who like moves well for his size and you know, like has these kind of perceived athletic tools and like Knox is awful. Like I, nothing against the guy. Like, I, I wish you were better, but like he's he a terrible bad. NBA player and like, they're not the same guy, but you shouldn't like, you shouldn't draft someone who's actively bad in college in the lottery, the top 10, like it's just poor management. Um, but with Isaiah Stewart, I'm just, I don't know. He's a tough one for me. Um, it, I think I it's can NBA find myself. Role. Like you just have to figure out what, what's he going to be. Able yeah. To do? Yeah. I think like, I think he's pretty strong, but I don't think he's like, like I think that's a nice, it's a nice boost for him, but I don't think it's outlier strength. You know, like I think I talked about it a couple of days ago. Like this, it was similar to like DeAndre Hunter. I thought he was a really, I thought he was pretty strong in college, but I didn't think it was something that was outlier strength. Um, I think it's a similar to Isaiah Stewart. Totally different players, obviously, but just kind of that similar concept. Um, and while I think maybe he can shoot, I don't think it's gonna be something that is like super valuable. Um, and I just think the awareness is not very good for a big. Or a rim protector um, never passes either. Um, I know Congre doesn't pass a ton either, but I like his flashes at least more than I've seen from Stewart. Stewart just such a black hole there, um, and just the instincts I don't think are great. Like I feel like a lot of the plays he makes defensively are because of the zone they play. Um, so yeah, maybe I should be a little higher on him. But I, I the thing is, I actually liked him coming into the year. I thought he was a really really good rebounder. I liked his post scoring. Like I thought he'd probably shoot. Um, and I've just been underwhelmed in terms of. Like the the passing has not improved at all. Um, I think he has a pretty long wingspan. I think it's like seven one seven two. Um, could be even longer than that. But I'm just I just look at him like I don't understand what he does exceptionally well. Like I just don't think there's anything there that really wows me. Um, and so while he's probably going to be a rotation big, he's just not someone that I'm like really enthused about and want to invest a first round pick in. Um, so I think I have him sixtieth. I could probably move him up to the mid forty or something if somebody wanted to convince me. But Anything higher than that, I'm just like, I don't see any outlier skills that should make me intrigued for him to be a high-level uh, player or even a starter at any point. Yeah, I mean, I, I like him more than you, but I, I do, I, we pretty much agree on, like, the weaknesses there. I, I, I think he's still probably, like, a, you know, late first for me, but that's not, you're never going to get him there anyway, because even with all the stuff that we just said, somebody's going to take these guys higher than we have them, and McDaniels especially, like I, like I said, like, I've heard multiple times now that teams still have him in their top 20, and I just, I don't get it, but, uh. There you go. Uh, last thing before I let you get out of here. Um, the Hawks now had that pick in the 50s that we talked about earlier. Um, I'm not done any talk about that because the last time I did a draft podcast was a few weeks ago before they made the trade to get a pick. And at that point, they only had two first rounders and nothing else. So um, aside from Killian Tilly, who we talked about earlier, give me a guy who could or maybe will be available in the 50s that you would be excited to take as an NBA team. Um, That's a good question. I think... And I'm trying to look at for it's so tough for me because people will like ask like oh who do you think is a steal here or like whatever and I'm just I'm not very good about staying plugged into mock drafts for the most part which is probably smart by the way but I I, I end uh, up looking at them because I have to like write about them sometimes for hawk sites and I end up having to see them but it's actually probably better for your analysis if you don't look so I don't yeah you. yeah it's yeah it's just it's just tough um for me to kind of you know figure out but um when people ask me like who's going to be available I just I have to check so um. A couple of guys I like that ESPN doesn't even have top 40 are um, – I like Devon Dotson. Like if, uh, let's say, Atlanta goes with uh, Avdia or something, it still needs another second for their ball handler. I think Dotson is a guy I have top 20. Um, Kansas point guard, like incredibly quick, awesome change of direction. His passing has improved as the years gone on. Um, I was kind of hesitant to buy in for a while, but um, I watched a couple of recent games, and I thought his passing was a lot better than I'd seen early in the year. So that was – Maybe a little more optimistic about maybe some upside as a primary ball handler. Um, smart defender, super strong, good balance too. A um, little small, only 6'2". Some qu- shooting questions. I think he's like 28% from three, but 80, over 80% from the line. 
but he kind of has a weird, a little bit of a shot put, shoots it from his shoulder a little bit, so con- concerns there. Um, another guy that I like, Skylar Mays from LSU. Um, he's right around my either late 30s or mid 40s for me. Um, so if he's available in the 50s, I think that'd be a pretty solid pick. Um, strong guard, can shoot, um, good on ball defender, a little not great off the ball, but um, pretty solid playmaker too. I think can run some pick and rolls for you. Um, and so I just I like his blend of on ball defense, shooting, and pick and roll ability um, for a guy in the 50s or whatever, wherever you're going to get him. I think is someone you could fill in and at least run, organize the offense a little bit when, when Trey's out. Obviously, he's nowhere near what Trey's going to do, but just someone who can run the offense in spurts and give you good on-ball defense and is a fairly smart and strong player for a guard. Yeah, I'm with you. I think Dotson would be a heck of a find in the 50s if he got there, and I think it's conceivable that it happens. I mean, it's a lot of fluidity between now and then, so it's kind of a tough question, but you did, you did a good job despite not despite not following mock drafts. I think those are two guys that could be available. Um, yeah, there you go. I think we've... Uh, covered a lot of ground here and we'll i'll probably beg you to come back in like may or june when things were getting closer <laughs> but uh please take a minute and plug yourself you are everywhere like i am you write in multiple places so tell people where they can find your work man yeah um so i cover gonzaga men's basketball for the athletic um you can find me there uh i cover the nba and the nba draft for a fan side of the step back and uh dime up rocks yeah dime I up rocks, that's where i am um i don't have any I should have a piece on Kongu coming out some point. Um, I just got to find the strength and time to actually put it all together. I have all these thoughts in my head about it. And, um, it'd be great if I could just have a program that turns all of them into eloquent thoughts. But um, unfortunately, it takes time for me to actually write it out. So <laughs> all of that coming up, hopefully within the next week. Uh, nothing else really on the radar. Some more scattering reports, probably over at Dime. Um, and a Cora one maybe, or a Killian Hayes one. I haven't decided exactly what. But uh, yeah, that's that's where you can find my stuff. And um Hopefully I sounded more articulate as the pod went on. I got off a little bit of a rough start, so um, <laughs> hopefully your list, your early listeners bear bear with me there. I'm sure they hung on, and I, I really appreciate you uh, stopping by. I will also tag you on the Twitter machine and all of my tweets about this so people can find you there, and they should be following you if they're not already. But uh, there you go. And also, uh, if you again, if you're if you're a Washington Husky fan, log on and yell at Jackson for his uh, thoughts on <laughs> yeah, the Yeah, I can handle it. You can, I can, I can bear it. I, I, I my last thought would be that I appreciate you having John Teske in your top 60 because Teske is my guy and he's not been very good this year, but I, uh, I appreciate that still being there. I, I still believe in John Teske third string center in the NBA. I'm, I'm here for it. It, it can happen. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a pretty good defender. and I like his ability to, to pass in terms of just like a play connector, not like someone you're going to ask to do a lot on the short roll, but just make the proper reads. I think will be something he could do. I'm proud of uh, myself for getting him in, for getting him in here on the podcast because uh, <laughs> a John Teske reference. I didn't know I'd be making one of those today, but here we are. It's only because I'm here. Otherwise, you would not have been. I'm sure. But uh, go, <laughs> go blue. All right, Jackson. Thanks for so much, man. I, again, I'll be begging you to come back, but I really appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. As for everybody else, please subscribe to the podcast. We'll be back again later in the week with more Hawks content.